Good Thursday afternoon. This is a football show. Welcome in. We've got a big Titans game, I guess, against Washington over the weekend to talk about a big week six in the SEC. Plenty of things to do today on the show. My name is Braden. His name is Zach. Zach, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm a little pissed because I'm here, sitting here scrambling to find the Washington Commanders injury report because <laughs> it's not on their fucking website that they have the Titans injury report, and that is the only injury report they have listed on their own team website. Here's a good preview of the conversation surrounding the Titans and the Washington Commanders football game this weekend. I'm not sure what Washington is doing well at anything, like the offense, the defense, the quarterback, the head coach, and the website all appear to be broken. Uh, I do like the uniforms. I do like the new uniforms and the logos. I think that stuff's kind of cool, but we'll see about that. Obviously, Titans a slight favorite one, one and a half points, depending on where you're looking over Washington coming up on Sunday. So we'll break down the entire plan on how the Titans can go about getting a W. Not all that different from what the plan should have been last week against the Colts. So we'll we'll get into that. Uh, of course, I know we'll have a conversation about expectations from the fan base and patience with Mike Vrabel and the conversation. I know you, is this something that, like, are you struggling with this personally because you've got Super Bowl expectations? But No, I'm not counting this year. Like okay. I've already said, okay. this year does not matter in the, right. whatsoever in anything that I'm going to say today. Okay. All right. We'll get into Mike Vrabel, patience and expectations, winning championships, all that good stuff today. Of course, Tennessee and LSU, really great SEC game down in Baton Rouge. We'll get into that. Some other really good games. Alabama A&M is finally here. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if anybody cares as much as Jimbo Fisher did about that press conference like four months ago, but it's here. We'll talk about it. Huge favorite, Alabama. We've got a couple other big games in the SEC, so a lot of fun stuff to do. If you want to get involved, we want your comments. We had a heckler. He didn't do a particularly good job of heckling. He just agreed with you the whole time. Um, when you're right, you're right. I mean, I mean yep, you're, you're pretty much always right, and, and that is, that's, that's the role you play on the show, being right, so that's good. Uh, get involved in the comment section, of course, YouTube, Facebook. Turn on all the notifications and jump in there if you want to comment. We will have access to all those. And of course, we'll try to answer them as they come in. Get involved in the show, folks. Share the product. Tell one person about it. So a lot of stuff to do. Special thanks, of course, to our title sponsors, all locally owned businesses, the Pharmacy, Weiss Liquors, the Kingston Group. We'll be back on Monday. Uh, you will be back on Monday at the Pharmacy. Uh, I will be elsewhere out and about. So uh, we'll just we'll, we'll see. But Monday is going to be. Uh, a victory Monday again. I'm feeling it. I feel it in my bones. So come out to the pharmacy, hang out with Zach. Uh, great place to take your family. You got the kids menu there under 50 bucks. You can get a great burger, some locally sourced beers. You can get some brats and tots if you want. You can do the whole deal for less than 50 bucks with a family of four, which is what I've got. Uh, so it's a great place to go hang out during lunch, not lunchtime, the weekend, whatever. So go check out the pharmacy, of course, Weiss Liquors. Uber Eats, you just search Weiss Liquors and they'll deliver the booze right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes, Zach. They drive so you could drink. God, we are so good at selling Weiss Liquors. Go to Weiss Liquors, everybody. Uh, locally owned and operated since 1932. That's before World War II. It's Weiss a, Liquors has a convenient been... location, too. The, I mean, that's the thing to me is that, first off, the parking lot is huge. Like, if you're going to a Midtown Cork Dorks, not to throw shade at Midtown Cork Dorks and start a rivalry here, street fight, but they don't have enough parking. Whereas over here, you have just, just wide open parking for Weiss Liquors. 
Yeah, Weiss Liquors, Weiss Liquors, Weiss Liquors, Weiss Liquors. <laughs> the Kingston Group as well. You, can you not throw shade at a at a competitor? You can, you can, but you gave him two mentions on the show, and we charge for that shit. You know, like yeah. <laughs> so, so in the middle of the ad for Weiss Liquors, always a great, we, we always, always a great strategy. About, yeah, <laughs> we we talked about a lot about Weiss Liquors, and I'm making sure that people know not to go to that other place. Yeah. That place with horrible parking. The the road to get there is congested. Go to the place with four lanes across and a massive parking lot, and it's next to the stadium, and it's in East Nashville, which has got everything else around you. It is right next to the interstate too, yeah. and it's not a congested two lane road going right, right into. It's a four, big road, four lanes across, big road all the way to, the, and you can just swing by on your way out of town. Again, if you want to Uber eats the food from pharmacy or the the booze from. Weiss Liquors, make sure you can do that as well. So just send the booze, booze and the food right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. But again, yeah, big parking lot. Uh, we're not using the other guys anymore. We're just, we're not using any of those other guys. We're just using Weiss Liquors and we're only eating at the pharmacy. Uh, and of course, buildkg.com is the website for the Kingston Group. If you're making any big decisions about your house, uh, obviously people are renovating right now. People are buying and selling. It's uh, housing market's crazy. You need good advice from good, smart people, especially people who are award-winning and locally owned here in Nashville, all these companies support local businesses, folks. That's the pharmacy, Kingston Group, and Weiss Liquors. All right. You want to get into this Titans game? Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, we're going to build a win. We're going to have some design plans and some engineers and some architects and some designers come together from Kingston Group, and they're going to put together a win. Zach, you are now in charge of that entire team. How are you building a win for this Tennessee Titans team? Feed Des Fitzpatrick. Easy as it goes. <laughs> You're guaranteed seven points in the third quarter. Just throw it to Des Fitzpatrick the whole game. In, in all seriousness, <laughs> you, you do have to go through the air because this is one of the – you thought that the Colts were a really great run defense. They are in, in by yards. But you're talking about the number one rush defense in terms of scoring points. They've only allowed one rushing touchdown this whole year. And they're middle of the road of the yard. So while Derrick Henry could probably get you into some scoring areas, he's not going to get you probably the touchdowns. I would the 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 front for this Washington Commanders team is just massive. Regardless of if Chase Young is actually going to play or not, don't even include him in the rush defense because you're talking about just these massive hog mollies. We don't use that word enough. Hog mollies are bringing it back, especially because, you know, the Washington commanders have that little pig section or whatever the, oh, the guys. Good. Christmas pig. So, that's you know, the shout, shout out to uh, Keith Jackson there, the, the big, yeah, old, there you go. big hog mollies. I like, yeah, that. but you got those big hog mollies up front. It's going to be really hard to run through the tackles. And it's going to be especially hard for someone like Aaron Brewer in both pass protection and run blocking to probably go up against these interior rushers. So that's something you got to keep in mind at both. So play action, play action, play action, play action, play action. Why slickers play action? <laughs> because at this on, point, on first down or just all the downs, all the downs. All because the downs. here, here's where you're at. They rank 30th in allowing the most pass touchdowns, and they only have one takeaway this whole year through the air. So one interception. And as far as yards go, they're 24th in yards allowed. So they're allowing 7.1s net yards through the air. There's no reason, no reason whatsoever to not focus on the, the play-action passing. Either, you're talking about they're allowing 50 first downs through the air and only 16 first downs on the ground. Uh, D. Good makes a good point. The Hogs were, was the Washington offensive line, I believe, with John Riggins in the late 80s. 
D good. Just but, what, but you know what I'm saying is there's a there's a section of now. fans. There's a section of fans that dress up as pigs. So pay attention. He's hot. He, he's heckling more like you, D bad. There you go. There's a heckle. <laughs> so is the, here's my question because we'll, we'll get to the Washington offense, which is putrid in just a second, and and they've got a lot of first round draft picks in that front seven. Like there's there's the reason they're so big and snarling is because they've got a lot of talent in that group. And and obviously, you mentioned the turnover. They've only forced one turnover, and that was back in week one. So they've gone three straight games without creating a turnover at all in any way. Is this the only area of the matchup that is – I mean, again, we're only a little bit into your plan here, building the plan to, to win. But I'm, is this the one area that is the most concerning on a personnel-level matchup standpoint? Because it's on the other side of the ball, it's hard to find – an area, an area yeah. where you don't feel confident as a Tennessee Titans fan. Right. And and I, I agree. I think this, this offensive line versus their defensive line in particular is really, really, it's going to be tough. And that could make it a closer game than what, than what people want to think it's going to be. So that's why you got to attack through the air. You got to keep them honest. You got to use, you got to have that good balance between play action passing and, your run game. And the reason being is because you got, you can't put the game entirely in Ryan Tannehill's Hill's hands. And especially with no trail on Burks, even though you are getting all-star uh, third, third quarter wide receiver, Des Fitzpatrick in the game, you just can't, you just can't, you gotta have, find the good balance. You can't overload the run game. Cause that's what they're going to take away. There's no trail in Burks. Your biggest threat on offense is Derrick Henry. You're getting Derrick Henry involved in the run game. So they're going to be sending Montez Sweat. They're going to be sending um, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. These big old motherfuckers are going to be coming at you. And you don't have the interior offensive line or really the left side of the offensive line to really stop these guys. Yeah, yeah. All, all of which are like five-star recruits that played in the SEC. Yeah. <laughs> like all of them. Uh, they got a lot of dudes on that on that side of the ball up front. There's no question about that. Um, I, I, I would like to see, and I don't know, Robert Woods has been worked into this offense more and more and more. Obviously, that goes without saying that he needs to be used. Would you like to explain the Des Fitz? That's twice now you've mentioned third car, third quarter all-star Des Fitzpatrick. I would like to, to say, listen, I think they should target Jeff Swain more in the second half. Yeah. As we know, that is a key to success. Would you like to explain... Why you have mentioned Des Fitzpatrick now twice on the show already? He is he is being rumored to be the wide receiver being called up because if they call Josh Gordon up, they have to sign Josh Gordon to the fifty three man roster spot. Is it a big deal if they call him up and then they cut him when Racy McMath is is coming back? No, but that's probably what they're thinking. They're thinking let's save Josh Gordon. Let's not use Josh Gordon right now. Let's give Des a chance and see what he can do. And so Des Fitzpatrick is probably going to be the wide receiver called up. We we talked about what was the plan, both on football and other efforts, which you can listen to out wherever you get your podcast and on a football show. And we never mentioned Des Fitzpatrick's name because we totally forgot that he fucking existed, right? <laughs> I mean, I was like, we're th- sitting here trying to think of how to replace Traylon Burks and who they're going to call up. And we, we're all thinking Josh Gordon. Or we could just use Chig and Kyle Phillips. Well, we forgot about Des Fitzpatrick, and he's there. And so Des Fitzpatrick has as many touchdowns in his career in the third quarter and in his career as much as the Titans have the season in the third quarter. So noted third quarter star Des yeah, Fitzpatrick exactly. with as with as many touchdowns last season 
in the third quarter as the Tennessee Titans have as a team. Just in the third in quarter, season. just do play action pass to Des <laughs> Fitzpatrick, just constantly. Let's just let's just cram it down the the commander's throats. Listen, if you're building a win, a plan for a win, brought to you by the Kingston Group, buildkg.com. You're going to run into a brick wall for the first two quarters to set up Des Fitzpatrick in the third right. quarter. That's the exactly. goal. Use Derrick Henry as a decoy for Des Fitzpatrick. Right. You you have to have, but you do have to these. Come out with the plan that you had in Las Vegas and come out with the plan that you had against um, the Colts. Creativity, keep them off balance. And you got to do that the whole quarter because we've, there's no faith. I have no faith. Even though I did put out a little bet out there in football and other efforts that they were going to score more points in the second half than the first half. But I it really has, don't believe, I really it, don't believe it, that. It has to happen at some point, though. Like Does it? I mean, I, can't maybe. they just score seven points and then everybody's like, oh, the problem solved. We scored a touchdown. So it's funny. We had a listener ask us this he, on Twitter. He said, how many points do you need from the Titans in the first half to feel comfortable if they were to go into their shell again and just turtle their way into like zero points in the second half? And I, because the offense for Washington, we'll get to this. Carson Wentz is taking sacks. They can't run the football. Like, we'll get to all this stuff. But because Washington feels so god-awful on offense, like, I almost kind of think last week is fine. If you get to 24 points in the first half, the way they did against the Colts, I, I kind of feel like they can they can survive that. Um, but at I, some point, I, there I, needs to be some balance here I, in reality. I, I think that if you're asking me on a weekly basis what they need to score, it's 42 points. If it's against this team... I'm going to say something. I know that no people are really downplaying this this uh, Carson Wentz-led team, and they're, they're for good reason. I think you're going to have to score more points than you are than last week because Carson Wentz can actually sling the ball around, and they have actually two really good wide receivers that can catch the ball in a really good pass-catching tight end as well, and possibly three running backs back there that can all catch the ball. J.D. McKissick. You have Brian Robinson with the possibility that he could come in and play, which would be terrifying. And then Antonio Gibson is another dual threat. All three of those guys are like yeah. dual threat running backs. I, I, I get it. The offensive line is terrible. It's terrible. They're going to come out, and they're going to sling the ball constantly because when you're playing from behind, so if you're going to come out in the second half without a massive lead, they're going to be inching a lot closer and a lot quicker than I think the Colts did. Okay, so it's the supporting cast around Wentz um, that you think is significantly improved over, and I don't, I don't disagree with you. McLaren's better than anything that they've got. Uh, McLaren's better than anything that the Colts have. There's no question about that. Although I do like Michael Pittman more than you do. You have a lot of anti-Michael Pittman. I think uh, he's fine. Too. I don't think he's like uh, Jordan Schultz tweeted out today that according to an anonymous GM, this guy's as good as Larry Fitzgerald. He's okay. Uh, that uh, anonymous GM is obviously Chris Ballard. <laughs> like, let's be honest here. It's obviously Chris Ballard. Well, while I would never suggest uh, comparing Michael Pittman to Larry Fitzgerald, I do think Michael Pittman is a very good player. So I, I, I don't think he's explosive, but I think he's he is cut from the Hopkins Fitzgerald mold of like really handsy, big physical guys. I, I don't. Listen, I'm not. I'm not suggesting he's that yeah. good. Washington is 17th in touchdowns thrown. Or sorry, not seventeenth. So that's they're seventeenth in yards. They're seventh in touchdowns thrown. So they they have the they're in the top ten in pass touchdowns. A lot of that's coming from behind. So you know the Titans are going to jump up and ahead. So they have to stay aggressive if um, we want to get into what the defense has to do. Well, I, so let, let's before we get into what the defense has to do, I want because there's some interesting matchups there, and you've already you can already see them formulating right. Like 
is it going to end up being a wide receiver and one-on-one coverage with Christian Fulton? And what, what does Fulton do in that situation? Like we're already, you can already kind of tell where we're going with that. I do want to lay out some of the things that are kind of like fun about the game, uh, just in general for fans to enjoy. Of course, obviously going for three straight wins, you know, t- Washington is two and seven. Uh, Vrabel is 13 and five all time against the NFC. He's very good in his career against the NFC. This would give him 14 wins in 19 games against NFC opponents. He's been very good in these games. I don't know why. I don't know what to make of that. Maybe if you're not used to seeing Vrabel's style of football, maybe because it's so different and boring that you <laughs> you, you don't know how to play against it. I don't know. Um, so I, there's a couple. Of, and then the Derrick Henry watch, you mentioned it. They're not giving up any points, but he needs three total touchdowns to get to Eddie George's record of 74. He needs five total touchdowns, which, of course, is not going to happen to get to get to Earl Campbell's rushing record. This is what I found interesting looking at these numbers. And I just wanted to throw this out at you. Earl Campbell with zero receiving touchdowns his entire career. I find that to be fascinating (laughs) because he had 73 rushing touchdowns, which is the record for the franchise. But Eddie George has the total touchdowns record at 74. Earl can't catch one. They didn't throw Earl one pass out of the backfield. I know. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) So I knew that. I just wanted to reiterate that's sort of a chase there that that is happening. And of course, um, three straight losses versus two straight wins. So two teams heading in a very different direction. I think there's reason for optimism here. I think there's a lot of reasons. For Titans fans to be excited. The uh, Titans should win this game. If you, they want to be taken seriously, they cannot go in with a loss to the Washington Commanders heading into the bye. That will do things that no. irreparable damage to the psyche of this fragile player system, this ecosystem that can't even get, get out of its own head to score some second half points. Uh, well, and as we talked about on Monday show, if, it, if it's a player psychological thing that, that they're not good in the second half, then it's one million percent a coach psychological thing. What you think well, about Todd Downey's well. thing? Well, I just feel bad they can't have fun in the second half. <laughs> what what kind of what kind of answer was that? It's just a funny that's just a funny answer. It's like I, I, why I hate that they can't enjoy the second half. Well, you know, maybe fix it. Maybe do something. I don't know. Read, read some scriptures at halftime. We'll see what happens. Um, no, so we'll get to... Do you want to get into the defense here? Um, because yeah. I, I find this to be very similar to the Colts matchup yes. and wh- where they can attack them. The difference, as you've already pointed out, is that there are a few more weapons for the... for the, for the, 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 the I almost said Redskins, for the commanders to go to, which is such a silly name. Uh, 85 yards rushing for Washington in week one, 88 yards rushing in week two, 87 rushing... In week three, they did get to 142 last week, but largely this has been uh, a poor offensive line in terms of the running game. Uh, 17 sacks for Carson Wentz in four games leads the NFL. Uh, He's had five turnovers. He's fumbled three times, so not as bad as Matt Ryan, but he's fumbled three times, lost one, so six turnovers from their quarterback. So while he has a stronger arm and is maybe younger and more athletic than Matt Ryan, um, he's turning the ball over and he's taking even more sacks. So it seems like the approach to the quarterback, at least, should be something very similar to what they did against Matt Ryan. It should absolutely be the same thing. And and here's the thing is coverage cannot afford to break down. You cannot afford to let Curtis Samuel get behind you. You cannot afford to let Terry McLaurin get behind you. In all honesty, the bend don't break coverage, the, the man off, you know, not pressing them, whatever – that may work just as well as pressing them up at the line at this point because we know that you can bait Carson Wentz into misreading coverage and get him thrown an interception. So I'm not saying that you have to man up on him, but you just can't let them get behind you, and these are two wide receivers who can get behind you. Curtis Samuel can also 
you, trick plays are probably coming at you. So you got to be quick to diagnose. That's going to fall a lot on Dylan Cole and David Long to maintain some integrity in these running lanes. Because really, right now you got they got two injured offensive starting offensive linemen. Both their tackles are one's limited in practice. The other one, it did not practice on Wednesday. That is huge for this team. And even when they're healthy, they haven't been that good. So at this point, you can only beat yourself. You have to, while your offense tends to not be aggressive in the second half, we saw the Titans defense last week stay aggressive. They have to stay aggressive, regardless of if Ola's playing, regardless of if Bud Dupree's playing, you have to be aggressive. So it would help, especially when we talk about not allowing coverage breakdowns, it would help if Amani Hooker is able to practice full go this week. Yep. It was nice to see Ugo Amadi is back to full go because I know he, why he's not something super, super important to the team. He, You can do more with Ugo Amadi on the field than you can without him. And then you got Monty Rice coming back as well. Looks like he got, he got, he's got the practice window to open up. Right. I, I think the, the key name there is, is Hooker. And because Samuel's being used, I don't want to say like Debo Samuel, this Curtis Samuel and Debo Samuel, they're, but, they're, but they they can do things with it. That's the way he was used at Ohio State. That's right. the way he's used in his NFL career. He they started doing that this year, too. And they've, wow. yep, they've started doing a lot more of that stuff with him. So it's going to be super creative. The best way, generally, is a super athletic safety who can play all over the field, is <laughs> who's very good at tackling in space. That tends to be a good answer for a player of that type. And so Amani Hooker's, you know, what, what he does this weekend, however much he can do it, would be a huge boost for this defense. And I'm, I'm with you on Amadi. I think I'm curious how much, because I agree with you, if they just want to drop into these like six and seven man shell coverages, how, how, how well you can disguise all of that. Because to your point, if you can disguise all of that pretty consistently with really creative cloak and dagger shit before the before the snap that's where i think you're screwing up with carson Wentz. like that's where carson Wentz makes mistakes. right you you don't have to blitz and leave yourself open and you don't right. have to overcompensate for anything because like when i when i say overcompensate i mean sometimes a cornerback can get too aggressive trying to make up or or try to get handsy because we know that that was a problem with christian fulton in practice, you don't really need to do that. You just need to stay on your guy and keep him occupied for three for three seconds max. And someone will be there harassing Carson Wentz into making an interception or fumble. And that and or just taking the sack. And that's and that's what matters. You got coverage cannot break down as the game goes on. We've seen that when there's an aggressive lead in the first half. We didn't really see it last week, but we've seen it in the in other games where this team kind of takes the Ever the hell Mary approach to covering wide receivers. Like they just are so far back. You don't have to do that, but you'd also don't have to be up close. There's a good middle ground here. That's going to bait Carson Wentz into it. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not breaking any news here. Imani hooker got the concussion last week in the middle of the week. They kept him out all week and he got a lot of extra rest. He should be ready to go. I don't see any reason barring a setback in practice that he's not going to be back on Monday. Yeah, Rabel seemed very confident that that he was going to be able to play. Um, it's the double move that scares me a little bit here, because if you if you sit back and you sit back and you sit back, like like you're suggesting, which I agree with, is the right approach. I think you just got to do both. Like I, I got to watch out for the, the double. Just watch yeah. out for the double move then, and the, the sluggos and the out and ups and the wheel routes and all the the double move stuff can get you. 
Uh, if you start to get a little too aggressive, if you start to build confidence and you think you can jump in front of a pass, that's when that's when good NFL players and schemes and coaches will beat you. Uh, it remains to be seen whether or not Carson Wentz and Ron Rivera are in that category. Right. Uh, we shall see. Again, Washington finished 1-4 last year. They're 1-3 this year. They're not exactly playing good football. No. Uh, and the offense has been terrible. Under 300 yards of total offense in each of the last two games. 18 total points. 18 total points in two games. For, for this Washington team. They, they are not good on offense. Um, the front seven is dangerous, but man, the, the offense, is, once you dive into it and you start watching, you're like, God, how can you have this many weapons and be this bad? It's right. It, like, and again, not to, not to like be all one-sided on this, because if you look at the numbers, the Titans numbers statistically on offense efficiency wise, aren't all that much better. This could be a pretty ugly football game. Honestly. It could. And it's because the, both of these offensive lines are just terrible. I mean, yeah. I think that obviously the Titans offensive line is definitely better than what the uh, commanders are rolling out there, but not by much. And, and you can tell that the offensive line is really holding this team back in certain regards, specifically in how they can be aggressive down the field. They they're the offensive yeah. line limiting the playbook, not the rest of the team. How, how much money rice do you think you can see this weekend? Like how much do you reasonably expect out of him? Well, I, it's interesting because, you know, he was practicing before the game last week, which I thought was odd. He was out there during warmups. Warm yeah. Mike Rabel, when he's talking about reinforcements coming, he specifically just said it's Monty Rice, and he seemed pretty optimistic that Monty Rice could get out there. Obviously, you're going to see him in a rotation. I mean, he's not going to play a lot. He's probably going to be the third or possibly even the fourth linebacker, even if he's healthy. Probably the fourth. I mean, if you really think about it, because Joe Schobert, Dylan Cole, and David Long will all get snaps over Monty Rice more than likely as they yeah. ease him back in. I, I don't expect to see much, but it is nice to have another athletic player that can potentially cover Logan Thomas. Yeah, this 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 defense, God, if you can once they all get back, man, <laughs> right. you can you can see like the skeleton and it's like all the missing bones, and like you can just see how good it could be with all the pieces back with hooker and molden and Amadi and Dupree and all the guys, like once they're all back, uh, obviously Landry, not until next year, but it, it it's, they should have lots of room to work this weekend against uh, an offensive line and a quarterback that make a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, who doesn't make mistakes and he's not terrible. The pharmacy beer garden and burger parlor. It's a wonderful place to eat some food, Zach. I'm not sure what else you need to say. It's just a great place to go sit down and eat great food and drink good beer on a beautiful afternoon because right now is beer garden patio weather right now is the time of year to do that so go oh, to the pharmacy it's beautiful you gotta go and it's, there's just no reason not to go at this point yeah so go go to the pharmacy burger parlor and beer garden of course they got the soda rail there for kids as well so again very kid friendly lots of outside space beautiful sunlight the vitamin isn't it vitamin c that's from the sunlight vitamin, vitamin d. d vitamin d lots of get some vitamin d while you're out there uh, as well and you know what else is cool I, I, they do this on purpose because they don't want people distracted by televisions. It's not designed to go. You're not going to watch games. You're going to like spend time with people and really good food. Like it's about being with your fellow man, Zach, maybe heckling somebody perhaps. Yeah. I, I like, I like to think of it. I get to go and have a nice cold beer and great food. And, and to me that, that is the, that's you have a customer for life when you have those two things, great food, cold beer and a, and a nice vibe, like a nice setting. That's all you need. That's all, it's all you need. You need. Um, if you need to build some new vibes, some nice vibes at your house, make sure you check out the Kingston Group, buildkg.com. And, of course, if you want to get some booze, Weiss Liquors, folks. 
all three companies, sponsors of, of a football show here on 440 Sports. All locally owned and operated, family run in Nashville, by Nashville, for Nashville. So check them all out. Of course, there you go. All right, Mike Vrabel, expectations versus patience. Now, I want to preface this conversation because this is all you, baby. I want to preface this conversation with all the things that you have done on the show the last couple of weeks, which is we told people (laughs) to not commit suicide recently, which is, I think, good advice, sound advice for most folks. Um, Then we had a couple victory Mondays on the show. So we've had this roller coaster in the first couple of months a couple uh, the first month of, of, of the titan season w- where are you mentally when you say all right i want to talk expectations and patience about mike vrabel and winning championships I, w- where, how did you get to this mentally is what i want to know okay well uh I, I don't know if you know this or not but titans twitter is a thing so this all stems from uh basically people being really pissed off at mike vrabel after a win after a win there are people and vocally it's a vocal minority but but there you also have coupled with this minority couple you got them you got the people who think the titans that mike Vrabel's a good coach but the titans can never win a super bowl with them and then you have just the fire mike Vrabel people so that when those two people come together that's a that's almost half a titans twitter now what percentage of all fan twitter is just fire the coach at all times like college pro basketball baseball football like, isn't there just like 10% of every fan base that's always? Yeah, to but I would coach? say with the Titans, it's a little bit higher than that. Higher percentage? Because Titans, Titans Twitter is a smaller group itself. So the percentages tend to be a little bit inflated. So give me a give me a guesstimate at a number I would say range. probably of people on Titans Twitter. Okay. I would say 20% want Vrabel fired. And I would say 30% want both want John Robinson fired. And I think there's probably wow. a good 25% of that that is the same group. And I th- recently, the big discussion has been that this team, because of Mike Vrabel, will never win the Super Bowl. And I have a huge issue with that. First off, it is so fucking hard to win a Super Bowl to begin with. I mean, it's insanely the most, it's easily the most insane and difficult thing to achieve for a team. The Patriots, out of all the professional sports, the Patriots. Yeah. Are the are a complete freak and have ruined, <laughs> ruined how fan bases as a whole look at good coaches and look at what and how easy it should be to win a Super Bowl with these good coaches. It's just it's just so difficult. And to me, listen, as long as Mike Vrabel's head coach, forever how long he may be head coach, the Titans may very well never win a Super Bowl under Mike Vrabel. But it's not because of Mike Vrabel unless he's going to go out there and start kneecapping his own players. It's never going to be because of Vrabel himself. He's not a shitty coach. He's not a bottom-tier coach. He is an elite, top-10, easy coach in the currently in the NFL. Well, And if you look at his record, like win-loss record, accomplishments, achievements, you know, divisions, playoff appearances, all this other stuff, like he, among four- and five-year head coaches – He's achieved as much as almost anybody in the in the league who's been in the league for as long as he has. I don't mean act, and he's among some of the best coaches actively. So it's like, Wait, I, I, don't, he, I, I don't understand his career win loss percentage. He's six out of the active coaches, so that includes any coach that's currently active in twenty twenty two. I'm I, I believe maybe a few of um, 
the 2022 coaches, rookie coaches, may be a little bit above that just because they haven't played a lot of games. So they I'm not count. including those. Not yeah, including they, don't, those. they don't count. And anything I say today, 2022 rookie head coaches are not included. Okay. Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, Andy Reid, then Mike Vrabel. <laughs> what, okay. are those all, what do those guys all have in common? <laughs> they're, they're, they're fantastic head coaches. <laughs> With All but LaFleur have, have Super Bowl rings. Right, right. And and if you include the guys since Vra- all the coaches that have been in the NFL since Vrabel got hired, you would have to include Bruce Arians and Sean Payton, and he would drop down the eighth. It's going to be very simple and easy if Mike Vrabel goes uh, at the end of this this year. It could be where Mike Vrabel will jump Andy Reid in that career win-loss percentage, and he would be fifth. He could even jump up and be fourth because it's 0.623 for Vrabel, 0.634 for Reed, and 0.637 for Tomlin. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a that's a, a 65% winning clip over and for Reed and Tomlin, it's like a deck more than a decade. Like that's a, a ton of that's an incredible percentage. And yeah. I so I will say, because I, I know the Titans Twitter is real. I know it's a real place. But Twitter's also not real life. And and Jason says this, my least favorite thing in sports is when reactionary idiot dregs control the conversation. Let them scream into the fucking ether. And I sometimes I agree with that in some in certain moments with some percentage of the fans. I think it's important to say to people like, just let the crazy uncle say some crazy shit on Facebook. Like, just let him go nuts and let him be ridiculous. You can't talk sense to him. And, And like, I don't think that's how we should be driving the conversation. There's well, another conversation yeah. about John Robinson and about patience and expectations. And I think this is maybe where you wanted to go with this. That is more reasonable and rational because I know you're very upset about what expectations for this year should be, which is different than expectations for Mike Rabel's career. Well, I, I think that when you get into this kind of stuff, there's 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 always a large contingent, even if you listen to the phone calls, not just Titans Twitter. If you listen to the phone calls at the radio stations, a lot of people don't believe that Mike Vrabel's the guy. And I, I know that there are a, a smart fans out there that think oppositely, but I think there is a conversation to be had that this leads into, which is who is the best Titans coach? Obviously Mike Vrabel by far. The Mike Vrabel, 0.623 win percentage. Then it's Jeff Fisher, 0.563. Not even close. Not even close. Jeff Fisher is number two. Then you go on top of that. There's also the discussion of um, offensive-minded and defensive-minded head coach. There's a bigger discussion here, right? Okay. Everybody thinks that Kyle Shanahan is this offensive genius and everything, right? Which he is. But he's in his sixth year, and right now, He's either in the playoffs or has a lose or doesn't even make the playoffs. And like, like like NFC championship game or doesn't make the playoffs. Yeah, doesn't even make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. He's wildly inconsistent. And then if you look at offensive minded head coaches, win loss percentage and defensive minded win loss percentage offense. Currently, there's 16 uh, that have um, 16 in the NFL 0.566 career. These are for career. Defensive-minded is 0.582 over their career. So defensive-minded has a higher rate win-loss percentage over their careers. When you talk about higher since 2018, there's been 14 hires that are offensive-minded head coaches. Their win-loss percentage is 0.489. Their hires since 2018 for defensive-minded head coaches is 0.428. You know what that tells you? 
it's really hard to find a good a good <laughs> coach, whether they're offensive minded or defensive minded. And I'm not done. Hold on. Okay. One okay. more. I got questions for you. I know. Let, let me finish, and then you may even have more, and I'll tackle all your questions. <laughs> Super Bowl wins since 2000. 11 Super Bowl wins for the offense. 11 Super Bowl wins for the defense. 23 conference wins for the offense, 21 conference wins for the defense. There is no difference. <laughs> it does not matter. What matters is that you're a good fucking head coach, and Mike Vrabel has proven time and time again that he is a good head coach. If you Titans Twitter had their way, they would have fired Andy yeah, Reid before he got to the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan, Tony Dungy, John Harbaugh, Bill Cowher, John Madden, Mike Shanahan, Tom Landry, and Don Shula would have all been fired before they even got to the Super did Bowl. You, did you practice that list? That was way too easy. You did that it's way too written up. You did that way too well, although I'm not sure how good a coach Tony Dungy is compared to the rest of those names. Uh, here's the one thing I'll say, because I agree with your point. I think anyone who thinks that Mike Vrabel isn't a good coach, isn't capable of winning a Super Bowl, or should be fired should be shot into the sun. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's irrational. If you want to spew that garbage on social media, go for it. Like, have fun. Spew it to somebody else, because I don't think it's real. I don't think it's relevant. I don't think it's important. Um, do, do, now, Bella, Now those numbers you gave us are skewed by Belichick, because he's got, what, like six of the 11 defensive coach Super Bowls. Well, there's also a lot of Super Bowls where two defensive-minded head coaches met. Yes, I mean, it's not, just, it's not just Bill Belichick, because a lot of these numbers, yeah, Bill Belichick won, there's a lot that Bill Belichick lost. That's true. And there, That's true. There is also the win-loss percentages are always balanced out because I'm including his career. So I'm including his time uh, with the Browns. Was the Browns or Jets? Wherever he was before the Patriots. He, he, was, the, he was the head coach for the Browns. It got him to the playoffs, I think. Um, yeah. uh, now, here's the, here's a question, though. I just – and I don't think – you may not ha you may or may not have data for this. I don't have any data for this. So it's sort of just like the beginning of a, of a conversation sort of philosophically, which is, is it easier – to have a defensive-minded head football coach and continue to develop and, and maybe replace offensive guys or vice versa? Is it better to be the offensive-minded coach and find and develop and replace defensive coordinators? Because you have to have sort of like the right-hand man that's opposite of you running the other side of the ball. And I'm curious, like, is it easier to find a good defensive coordinator? Because I do think, and I, I've talked to a lot of college coaches about this, being a head coach and being a play caller on either side of the ball are two very different skills. Mm. And I, what, what Mike, what Mike Vrabel does to develop a culture and lead and teach and, and all these other things, that's not the same as like knowing when to blitz or knowing when to, to, to call the tight end jet sweep and when not to call the tight end jet sweep. So which one do you think is easier to sort of maintain long-term if again, we, we don't have well, data to back this up. So. I, I would, I would say this, I would look at it from this perspective. When you talk about new hires, there were 14 offensive head coach or offensive coordinators hired between 2018 and 2021 did not include all the ones that got hired in 2022. Cause I was, I think Matt Eberflus was the only defensive head coach in 2022 to get hired out of the new ones. When you look at that. Yeah. When you look at that, that tells you that you're going to have to replace your offensive coordinator more, more than likely at some point. Either they're going to get poached very quickly or whatever. So I find that adds a layer of difficulty, whereas your defensive coordinator may get to stay around. Like Even though Shane Bowen is doing a great job, you're probably hiding him for another year or two before anybody's coming around really calling and all that kind of stuff. You get yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't no, know. I, I totally, really... No, no, I totally buy what you're saying because my instinct would be that offensive guys are just going to churn a little bit more often, a little bit quicker, and it's going to be you – have, you have to find them more. I think there's more. more average to good. 
I think the if you're looking at the levels, there's elite defensive coordinators, there's average to good defensive coordinators, and I think that the gap from that those two, like, I think there's a large subsection of average to good defensive coordinators that you can hire to easily get average NFL production out of your defense. I think that to get average offensive production out of your offense, I think it's you can't. If you want to get to the Super Bowl, you have to get elite production of some sort, or at least above average. And I think that's a very much smaller subsection. So this that- is fa- this is fascinating to me because I agree with everything you just said. But to me, strategically, and again, I'm pro Vrabel. I think Vrabel's yeah. a great coach. I think he can win the Super Bowl. So this is almost separate from Vrabel altogether. But I, it feels like then the smarter strategy is to try to lock down the elite offensive mind as your head coach, because if he's your coordinator, he's going to go be a head coach somewhere else. And and that's not obviously what they've done with Rabel, but again, we they've already picked out the guy who's very good at the leadership at the top of the pyramid. Like he's already, we know he's very good at this stuff because that stuff is different. Like as if you're a Packers fan, Matt, you don't question Matt Lafleur's ability to draw plays and design offense for Aaron Rodgers. You question like the entire culture of the team and is he is he doing all the stuff that Rabel does that's like intangible. Well, see, that's what that's why I think you don't go offensive corner because I mentioned that. On, on the on uh, football under the efforts, when me and Mike were talking about this, kind of just randomly, we kind of got off on a side subject. That offensive coordinators that become head coaches really, really love calling their own plays. Yeah, that is really, really difficult to do at a high level in the postseason. Hmm. And it's really difficult, I think, for you to be able to say this guy's the next offensive genius that's coming into the NFL. This guy's the next McVay. This guy's the next Lafleur. This guy is this. Because when you really think about it, you're talking about guys like Adam Gase who got called that. Josh McDaniels, Matt Rule at the time of their hires were called. Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett were called offensive geniuses. Yeah, It's really hard to find the offensive genius that is then willing to get out of their own way and let someone else call plays if they're not the offensive genius. Head but coach. then aren't you right. But then aren't you taking away what made them valuable in the first place? Like that's, that's what's so weird about it. Because- but were they valuable? Because like, what is Nathaniel Hackett? Like in his instance, who's more valuable, Matt LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett, right? Like in, yeah, yeah. It, to the yeah. success of the green Bay Packers, it yes. was Matt LaFleur. Yes. I guess I'm, if you, t- if you take away like the garbage, guys <laughs> like the, yeah. like what are the good ones right Ar- let's say let's go with the recent ones matt lafleur arthur smith obviously are ties to the titans but mcveigh and, and shanahan are two that get mentioned all the time and, like i think bruce arians would be in this conversation as well like if guys that are just brilliant, oh, bruce arians did give uh byron leftwich play calling and i and that's what i'm curious about is like does bruce arians then reduce his own value to his own organization because he's uh... not calling plays but also to your point it's so much harder to do it in the postseason Bruce, when things are moving so fast. Bruce Arians and Andy Reid are a different breed. They've adapted. So Bruce Arians and Andy Reid have let other people take over play calling duties because they need to focus on other things. And it has brought them, doing that has brought them success. And I, I think there's a certain point that you're going to see Matt LaFleur eventually, especially if he's good, if he's good. Gone, if he's good yeah. have to give that over. I just want to say one last thing. It took Andy Reid 19 seasons, and he switched a team during that to win a Super Bowl. It's it's crazy, crazy hard to not only just make the Super Bowl, it's crazy, crazy hard to win a Super Bowl, to even make the conference championship. You're talking about guys like Harbaugh and 
Pete Carroll, both entering their 15th and 13th season, respectively. And they, uh, Carroll has missed the playoffs two of eight seasons since the win. But since losing the Super Bowl in 2014, 2014, he hasn't made a conference championship. In 2012, when the Ravens won, he hasn't made it to the conference championship since 2012, John Harbaugh. With, and with these some, guys with have some a number, lot of leeway. Yeah, with, with number one seed teams, with an MVP quarterback, like with, uh, I mean, I agree with you. I, it's I, just so difficult. And Vrabel yeah. doesn't have an elite quarterback. I love my, you can win with both Mike Vrabel and Ryan Tannehill, but the chances of you winning right. are so slim. I, I mean, sadly, because Ryan Tannehill has been like the most dependable part of this team right now. What's sad about this is that we all know it eventually comes back to if Mike Rabel's going to win a Super Bowl, he's going to need a better quarterback. Like that's, but that's a big picture, longer term conversation about down the road. It will be interesting to see how Mike Tomlin develops Kenny Pickett. This is the first time yeah. Mike Tomlin, who's in the midst of being maybe on top of his first losing season since taking over for the Steelers, which is wild that he's developing a rookie quarterback, a franchise rookie quarterback. It will be so interesting as a case study for what will eventually have to happen for Mike Vrabel and company. Belichick. Bel Belichick had Brady the whole time, and then he had Mac Jones. Now they made the play. Now they, they were good in his first year. Now Mac Jones is hurt, so we're not going to learn as much. I, I do find it interesting, and I, I know we got to move on here, but the Andy Reid thing, it's almost like you have to train like your assistants in like the core ethos of your offensive philosophy before you're comfortable giving over the play calling duties. And it's like, once you've done that, then, then you can kind of become, you can step away from it a little bit and you can trust somebody else to do it. But it's almost like what, what's the point of hiring someone that's so great Shanahan or McVay or LaFleur or Smith or whatever, if you're going to take away that thing, you have to at least give them some time to train somebody on the system a little right. bit so that they can, they can kind of, you know, they got to find someone they can trust. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I guess, I mean, there's obviously weird stuff bouncing around with Eric B and like what's going on with Colorado job and like, NFL and I'm not hiring, saying if like but, the next offensive genius that's hired needs to immediately give up play calling. Right. I mean, right, right. I, but they gotta, you gotta find someone that can build a culture in a locker room at the same time. McVay just turned everything around from Jeff Fisher's days so quick. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's another one of those things. That's the outlier. I think that's what people don't understand is that there's certain outliers. Like for all the wins and he's got 0.729 win percentage, Matt LaFleur. They can't win a fucking playoff game to save their life. And yeah. they can't, they had still haven't made it to the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers and, and they tr just traded away Devontae Adams. They've had a good defense. They've had a good running game. They've had an elite quarterback. They have a really great play caller. And they still can't win the Super Bowl. They they can't yeah. win a conference championship. It is so hard. I, I think you could wrap up the entire conversation by saying Mike Vrabel could be the greatest coach in the history of the organization and be a Hall of Famer in the NFL as a head coach, not a player, a coach, and never have won a Super Bowl. It, it, it's it's one hundred percent possible. Yeah, it, it, and it and it's and frankly, it's probably more likely. <laughs> like, it, it may be. Than winning a Super Bowl. But again, we're talking about 15 or 20 years here. All right. We, we want to get to some SEC stuff. By the way, pharmacy, go eat some good burgers, folks. Need some help on your house. Kingston Group, buildkg.com. Of course, Weiss Liquors, Uber, Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors, have the booze delivered right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. They drive so you can drink. There you go. Uh, all locally owned businesses supporting locally owned content and product here for you nas villians and you titans fans and you sec fans all right so quickly here we'll go i also have an article at 3 p.m at broadwaysportsmedia.com for insiders only that will dive more into what we were talking about i got over 2800 words written oh my god 
You were down a rabbit hole, my man. I like it. Uh, sign up for the insider account there. Broadwaysportsmedia.com is the website. Listen to his pods, football and other F-words. You got all the other shows from 440 Sports. So rate, review, subscribe, notifications, follows on the Twitters, all that great stuff. And, of course, our wonderful sponsors. We do appreciate you guys for your support. Uh, Tennessee at LSU. Can't wait, dude. Cannot wait. Strength on strength on Tennessee's offense versus LSU's defense. And um, weakness on weakness, I guess. Chaos, <laughs> chaos on chaos, I guess, yeah. on the other side, where we have no real clue what Jaden Daniels is going to do at quarterback for LSU on any given play. And we're not really sure what Tennessee's defense is going to look like. But man, Hendon Hooker versus Brian Kelly and, and Mike House and that defensive front, that is real big boy football. I think Hendon Hooker is going to win that matchup because here's the thing when he scrambles, because they're going to pressure him, when he scrambles, watch the, watch the defensive backs. If the defensive backs are disciplined and stay at home and allow Hendon Hooker to run around, that's going to make it hard for them to drive the field. It's going to take longer. It's going to they're going to have to be patient. If those defensive backs are undisciplined and they start coming up off their wide receivers when Hendon Hooker runs around, he is going to murder them down the field. That I think is the difference. Watch the DBs when Hooker is pressured and flustered out of the pocket. Otherwise, it's going to be a hell of a game. I think it's going to be a hell of a game, and I think that you take Tennessee minus three. Yep. I, I'm all over the points on this one. I'm all it's 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 got better odds than taking the money line. So just take the minus three. You won't be disappointed. And I'm looking at this game. It's the real primetime game. I don't care about Alabama versus Tamu in it's 7 p.m. at night. I am here for this game. I am here for this game. 11 a.m. is is a benefit to UT, but it's a, it's a disservice to everybody that loves good football because i think this is going to be fun fun football and i think that ut is going to blow the doors off lsu so I, I i like tennessee minus the three i think it's the best play in the sec this weekend actually if, if you're gambling on point spreads i i so the like the fan and my buddies are glad that it's 11 a.m because it's good for tennessee's chances because it's not a night game in death valley i am going to be in the car for eight hours with two children I wish it was a primetime game. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I wish it was later so that I could watch it. I'm going to have my brother, you know, DVR it for me so that I can get I can watch it when we get there. But um, it, it's going to be like, again, it is all about creative coverages from Brian Kelly and pressure from that really good defensive line. And how does Hendon Hooker handle that? And if he can handle it and they play with confidence and they've got the bye week to build up to this. I agree. I think Tennessee's the far better football team and they should go down there and win. But yeah. The last time they were there, of course, is when they had 13 dudes on the field and Doolander was the coach and like, you know, it was total chaos. So, yeah, um, it's, it's, this this is a totally different team. And I think they're I think this is a good litmus test for what Tennessee is going to be facing in, in the rest of their schedule. You're talking about good defensive lines, a lot of pressure, exotic coverages. This is exactly what they're going to see. So if UT comes out and wins convincingly, there's going to be a lot of UT talk like I was talking over the summer. Uh, well, with Bama next week, if they're both undefeated, because I, I agree, I think Bama versus AM is not really a football game at this point. Um, if they're both undefeated next week, it will be the most meaningful buildup to a third Saturday in October in a long time. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that the game could be. I mean, Alabama could still blow the doors off Tennessee, but the point is the buildup and the right. hype around it will be greater than we've seen in, in 15 years, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I, here's the other thing to your point about the matchup. This is the best defensive front they will have faced all season. It's probably the best defensive coaching staff they will face all season. 
with all due respect to Pat Narduzzi in Pittsburgh, it is the most hostile environment they will have played in all season. So if they go down there and handle kind of all these things, I, I, you know, it, it all sets up for, <laughs> for undefeated, undefeated Bama, Tennessee next weekend. Um, and a big buildup for Tennessee expectations, more anxiety, more nausea, <laughs> right? All, the, all that, all that stuff for Tennessee. I am curious. Tennessee has struggled with quarterbacks that like are quick to move out of the pocket. Anthony Richardson over 500 yards of offense. Jaden Daniels is not particularly great at staying in the offense, but he's really good when he gets outside of the offense. And Tennessee's had trouble with that. So why? That's no that's that's one hookup or hang up. Yeah, that's the one. That, that Tennessee defense is not exactly, uh, uh, you know, one of the best in the SEC. Now, I, I don't know if we're are we talking Bama here. Are we talking Bama real, real quickly? Because if- the buildup for this game is is twenty four point spread. Like I thought the game was over when Jimbo called the press conference. Uh, I'm kind of glad it hasn't been a big story, honestly. Like in you know we're we're fifty four minutes into the show here and we're talking about it. Um, I if I think I've been told Bryce Young's going to play. I don't think he needs to. I don't think I, he, I don't think he does to either. And and I think that could be a bad bad thing too. It could come back and bite him in the butt. But at this point. I, I think that you cannot be afraid of Texas A&M. Uh, I do kind of like Texas A&M plus 24. I think that's a little high, even by Bama standards and Texas A&M standards, because, you know, there is the, the threat of garbage time. Back but cover. I just don't really know if I really want to bet anything on this game and just enjoy watching Bama just <laughs> destroy these losers over at College Station. Uh, and that would be the third loss of the season for Texas A&M. Uh, also, Max Johnson, the starting quarterback, banged up, too, for Texas yeah. A&M. So you could have two backup quarterbacks in this one. I, I, It's funny because I, I would not gamble on this game either, but I lean Bama because Vegas is kind of trying to tell you, like, hey, take A&M. Look at all these points. Take A&M. They're kind of trying to push you towards A&M. Here's my question. How many total points can A&M score? Like, right. I, I mean, it would have to be 20. I Like, I think it's like 24-48. Like, you know? I, I don't think A&M is going to get to 17 points. Like, I don't think, I think if A&M scores more than 10 points, I'd be impressed. Yeah. Because their offense is atrocious and Bama's defense is pretty freaking good. So I, I, I'm kind of sad that it's, it's such an afterthought. It feels like Arkansas, Mississippi state's a better game. Missouri and Florida might be a better game this weekend. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of agree. Speaking of games, should Auburn fans wear all black (laughs) as there is going to be a funeral on yeah. Sunday or on Saturday in Athens. Yeah. So I think the football game is scheduled for Saturday. The funeral is scheduled for as soon as the body stops twitching on Sunday. I'm going to go over under noon central time. So one o'clock Eastern time that the board of trustees will have met and they will have made their decision after a 45 point loss to Georgia that enough is enough. Here's the thing. What's the the word we always use in college football for success is alignment. You got to have alignment, right? You need like the presidents and the boosters and the athletic director and the head coach and the fans and the players. Everybody's got to be aligned to win, right? Georgia's got it. Alabama's got it. They're trying to find it at Tennessee. It looks like they may, may have done that. Auburn is famously unaligned in any possible way. The only thing that can align Auburn is their hatred of Brian Harson. That's it. That is the it, it, once they get so many people in line, he's gone. And a forty-plus point loss to Georgia this weekend is it? It's done. Put him out of his misery. End the charade. 
move on. Georgia is going Will to end the Will this be the last time we talk about this? Because I feel like we say this every week, and I am nope, sick this is of it. talking about Brian with a Y. This is it. This is the this is the one. Next week's the bye week. You can implement the interim coach. A loss to a rival. Like I, I've talked to a few people around the program, and it is it is it is at the boiling point. They, All right. they, they have reached the boiling point. I would be shocked if we sit down on Monday. I mean, again, unless he wins the game, even in, in which case that I, that might lead him to fire him too, because it's like, no, we don't want the dead cat bounce. But I would be shocked when we sit down to do a football show on Monday, one o'clock live, everywhere you get your live shows. If he is still the head coach at Auburn, I would be shocked. All right. I better not have to talk about this ever again. <laughs> You're fed up with it, huh? <laughs> Sue we for your loss. Arkansas versus Mississippi State. Who will be asking that question? I think people should tune in just for the puns. Uh, there's no question. I miss, so this is all about KJ Jefferson. As of this show, one o'clock on Thursday afternoon, we don't really have clarity on KJ Jefferson. If he starts and plays, this will be a very fun, very high scoring, take the over, take Arkansas plus the nine and a half kind of game. I still like Mississippi State to win either way. What you got going on there? You got yeah, bugs I had flying. Fly. I had a fly. <laughs> I thought I killed one, and now there's another one. That's that's the ghost of Jimbo Fisher, just yeah. annoying you. Just buzz off. Uh, so if KJ Jefferson plays, it's probably a really fun game, probably a really close game, high scoring game, lots of lots of points, lots of drama. Take Mississippi State. If KJ Jefferson does not play, lay the points. Mississippi State wins big, and uh, this Mississippi State team, I th- I think we've been saying it on the show for a while. This is a pretty good Mississippi State team. Now they they lost one. LSU, but it's a it's a fun one to watch. And they shouldn't have lost that game to LSU. It's ridiculous how bad they played against this worse worse LSU team, in my opinion. Yeah, LSU's worse than Mississippi State. They did a good job of like this is what Tennessee fans should be worried about is if you get stops in the red zone and make people kick field goals, you can hang around long enough, you can win a game. And, and that's what t- Tennessee needs to score touchdowns. Mississippi State needs to score touchdowns against Arkansas. Um, so that's a big deal there. Otherwise, I think it's going to be a really fun game. I hope KJ plays, and then it's a really fun game either way. Right. Uh, and frankly, Arkansas shouldn't have lost to AM. Mississippi State shouldn't have lost to LSU. You could be talking about an undefeated Mississippi State team and a one-loss Arkansas team that are both ranked in the top 15 right now, but that is not what we're talking about. No, Arkansas really, after that drumming by Bama, got kicked out of that top 25. They were in rank 20 and got kicked all the way out. I was kind of surprised by that. This is the nature of the SEC this year. We've talked about it. Three through 10 is so balanced. They're just going to cannibalize each other. Yep. And you're going to, like, at the end of this weekend, it's very possible that Arkansas and A&M have a combined six losses. Yeah. That is not, they're, they're better teams than that. But that's the way it goes, man. This is why we play the games, and this is this is college football. So, Do we get an encore out of Ole Miss, who dominated, who, well, I won't say dominated Kentucky, but played a fantastic game on all sides of the ball. And then Kentucky, who kind of, Will Levis kind of choked a little bit at the end of the game. Will we see repeat performances from those particular teams in their games this weekend? Ole Miss at Vanderbilt, 17-point favorite. Kentucky at home against South Carolina, 10-point favorite. Critical for both teams. I thought that played a very evenly matched game last week against each other. Two very good teams that were undefeated at the time. Now Ole Miss is top 10. Kentucky's got the loss. I just want to see both of them come back and handle their business. Show us that last week's game was 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 real, right? And and Ole Miss, Vandy's got the bye. You know, Clark Lee, AJ Swan had some time to prepare. Let's see what they do with that Ole Miss team. Ole Miss letdown factor. Kentucky at home against South Carolina. Stephen Garcia, friend of the pod, out there running his mouth about Commonwealth Stadium. 
getting people fired up. I just want to see Kentucky and Ole Miss handle their business against two teams they should beat. And then that sort of proves that last week was a matchup of two really good teams. Right. And and if that's and I, I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's what we're going to see. But go ahead. Let, why don't you just prove it to us, Ole Miss and Kentucky? Okay, let's just yeah, exactly. Both of these teams need to prove it to their fans and prove it to the media at large that Kentucky needs to say, okay, last week just some mental errors. We would have won that game, and Ole Miss needs to say our defense is for real. Yep, and our offense can and our rushing attack cannot be stopped. Yep, that is perfect. That otherwise, I think a lot of excitement for both these fan bases, which are. You know, pretty close. Oxford and Lexington, pretty close to Nashville. So, um, two two really good. I think these are two good teams, and I think they handle business this weekend. So, That's what else good. you got? That's what we got. That was a football show. So, uh, special thanks to the pharmacy. Special thanks to the Kingston Group. Special thanks to Weiss Liquors. Uh, obviously, if you want to go have a burger and a beer on a beautiful afternoon, I can't think of a better place to go than the pharmacy. If you need some work on your house, make sure you check out the Kingston Group. And if you want someone to send you some booze directly to your home, Zach, what should people do? They should go on Uber Eats and go search Weiss Liquors (laughs) and then buy all the alcohol that you want. Make sure you meet the delivery driver at the door with your ID because you're going to have to show them that ID. They're going to have to scan it because they drive so you can drink. I I never thought about that. I guess you are putting like the 21 and up thing like on the driver. That's that's a lot of pressure to put on a driver. (laughs) For, for Uber. Right. Gotta, um, gotta be able to uh, scan that thing. Very good bourbon selection. If you want some bourbon, good bourbon selection there. If, you, if you're if you feeling like a nice German pills and a brat, go to pharmacy. You know, we got, we got something for everybody here on a football show. Uh, otherwise, enjoy the Titans game against the Commanders. Enjoy week six in the SEC. Make sure you are listening to all the great pods from across both the Broadway Sports Media Network and 440 Sports, as well as turn on all the notifications for YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. Uh, Zach, where can people find you? Find me on Twitter at Spot. You can find my written content at broadwaysportsmedia.com. And you can find all my audio content, my voice, over at wherever you get podcasts are sold. And <laughs> wherever, then... Wherever our podcasts are sold. Wherever your podcasts are sold. Uh, <laughs> and then on top of that, you can go to YouTube channels for Broadway Sports. And for 440 Sports and turn on notifications and see my lovely face there as well for all the podcasts and shows I do. Yeah, I got to watch you call out Mike Herndon for changing his Twitter account. I thought yeah. that was good. You get to watch it. It's fun to watch his face. Just It's just embarrassment. Just all raw, pure, unadulterated embarrassment for how he hid all of his bad takes for the last 15 years on Twitter. Uh, all right. Special thanks uh, to everybody involved. Pharmacy, Kingston Group, Weiss. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody. For Zach, I'm Braden. This has been a football show.